morning, St. Michael's, please stand. Lord, we're so grateful this morning that by the power of your blood, our ordinary becomes extraordinary. That we get to share in the power of your resurrection. And so we come here today expectant to see the extraordinary, to see your power move, to see your spirit move in this place. In your name.
From you no secrets are hid. Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. This Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And as we prepare to celebrate the mystery of Christ's love, let us acknowledge our sins and ask the Lord for pardon and strength. Please kneel. Most merciful God, I confess that I have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what I have done and by what I have left undone. I have not loved you with my whole heart. I have not loved my neighbors as myself. I am truly sorry, and I humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on me and forgive me, that I may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your holy name. Amen. The Almighty and merciful Lord grant you absolution, remission of all your sins, true repentance, amendment of life, and the grace and consolation of his Holy Spirit. Lord, have mercy. Lord have mercy.
about earthly things, but to love things heavenly. And even now, while we're placed among things that are passing away, to hold fast to those that shall endure. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. You who swallow up the needy and make the poor of the land fail, saying, When will the new moon be passed that we may sell that we may sell grain, and the Sabbath that we may trade wheat, making the ephah small and the shekel large, falsifying the scales by deceit, that we may buy the poor for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals, even sell the bad wheat. The Lord has sworn by the pride of Jacob, Surely I will never forget any of their works. Shall the land not tremble for this, and everyone mourn who dwells in it? And of it shall swell like the river, heave and subside like the river of Egypt. And it shall come to pass in that day, says the Lord God, that I will make the sun go down at noon, and I will darken the earth in broad daylight. I will turn your feasts into mourning and your songs into lamentation. I will bring sackcloth on every waist and baldness on every head. I will make it like mourning for an only son and its end like a bitter day. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord God, that I will send famine on the land, 
Not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. They shall wander from sea to sea, and from north to east. They shall run to and fro, seeking the word of the Lord, but shall not find it. This is the word of the Lord. This morning's psalm is Psalm 113, and we'll say it responsively by the whole verse. Praise, praise the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. From the rising of the sun to its going down, the Lord's name is to be praised. The Lord of the of all nations, his glory is above who is like the Lord our God who dwells on high? Who humbles himself to behold the things that are in the heavens and in the earth. He raises the poor out of the dust and lifts the needy out of the ash heap. That he may seat him with princes, with the princes of his people. He grants the barren woman a home like a joyful mother of children. Praise the Lord. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit. Our second lesson comes from the first Timothy, chapter two, beginning in verse one. Therefore, I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Jesus Christ, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am speaking the truth in Christ and not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. I desire, therefore, that the men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath, and doubting. The word of the Lord. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. Luke. Glory be to thee, O Lord. St. Luke, chapter 15, chapter 16, beginning at verse 1. Jesus also said to his disciples, There was a certain rich man who had a steward, and an accusation was brought to him that this man was wasting his goods. So he called him and said to him, What is this that I hear about you? Give an account of your stewardship, for you can no longer be steward. Then the steward said within himself, 
What shall I do? For my master is taking the stewardship away from me. I cannot dig. I am ashamed to beg. I have resolved what to do. That when I am put out of the stewardship, they may receive me into their houses. So he called every one of his master's debtors to him and said to the first, How much do you owe my master? And he said, A hundred measures of oil. So he said to him, Take your bill and sit down quickly and write fifty. Then he said to another, And how much do you owe? So he said, A hundred measures of wheat. And he said, Take your bill and write eighty. So the master commended the unjust steward because he had dealt shrewdly. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in their generation than the sons of light. And I say to you, make friends for yourselves by unrighteous mammon, that when you fail, they may receive you into an everlasting home. He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. And he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? The Gospel of our Lord. Praise be to the Lord Christ. Okay, we've gotten to the last section in the first part of Exodus. For the past five weeks, we've been talking about this enslaved people, Israel, who had grown from a group of families into now it says like a 100,000 men, not counting women and children, over 400 years of slavery in Egypt. Now, there's an interesting note that we are not just talking about this historical people, but we're really talking about every man and woman who's taken from the burden, the bondage of sin and death out of that slavery into freedom. And nowhere is it more apparent than when we talk about the crossing of the Red Sea, which is our topic today. What's interesting here is we get Israel who's in slavery and bondage in Egypt, and God saves them before they've done anything to earn it. That's what we see in the Passover lamb, just like us. For God demonstrated his love for us that while we were dead in our trespasses and sins, Christ died for us. So Israel at this point is what we might call in modern terminology, saved, right? They've been saved. They're needing now one extra step, and that is to be born again. And what we see in the Red Sea is the mirror of baptism, where we are born again into newness of life. And then, after that, we're going to see they have to learn how to actually walk in it. It's very relatable to our own journey. Because God is not just saving us, and then that's the end of the story. He's saving us from something, the burden of sin and death. He's saving us for something, the purpose that he's given us in the world, and he's saving us to somewhere, his promised land, the kingdom of God. And so the salvation story is best described in 
the people of Israel, 400 years of slavery, 40 years in the desert, and then they see the promised land. We often like to talk about salvation like, oh, I met, I found Jesus. Nobody knew he was lost, but apparently you found Jesus at this moment, and then your life is just going to be completely different. I found Jesus, now my life is different. And yes, absolutely, a change happens in salvation. But what we learn when we look at the book of Exodus is that God actually deals with us not in a moment, but over our lifetimes. Thank the Lord, because I know I haven't arrived yet. I am reminded daily that I still need the salvation of God to be active in my life. So as we get into this story of the Red Sea, I want you to start thinking about the who are these Israelites. Because up until this point, they've been almost non-existent in the narrative. They've had a couple things to say. They believed Moses. They didn't believe Moses. They complained. But we start to see who these Israelite people are and what God's going to have to change in them in this story of the Red Sea crossing. And so we see as they're leaving Egypt, they're riding high and mighty. They plundered the Egyptians of their gold. They're walking out with their herds. They are a wealthy people where God just saved them from the biggest, baddest country in the world, the nation. And these slaves, without spilling any of their own blood, were saved by the power of God's mighty hand. And then what does God do? God shows up in a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire to lead them. In Exodus, we'll start in 13, verse 21. And Yahweh went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they may travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. So we start with this miraculous guidance. A a literal pillar of fire is coming out of the sky, a pillar of cloud, and Yahweh is in it. It's called in theological terms a theophany, a physical manifestation of God's presence. And so Israel, as you might suspect, is in a good mood. They're leaving Egypt. They've been slaves. They are now wealthy, and their God is showing up and leading them towards the promised land. Now, the early church fathers point out that why a pillar of fire and a pillar of cloud? It represents the righteous judgment and power, the fire of God with the consolation of the cloud, the grace of God. God is leading them forward by His judgment, His righteousness, and His grace because they don't deserve any of this. But He is leading them out of Egypt and He's going to make them into a people. God is leading them. What could go wrong? As you all know, something immediately goes wrong. In fact, I almost threw up that meme, you know, from Star Wars. It's a trap! Well, God leads them, and it says He has a couple different options of where He's going to lead them. So let's get into Exodus chapter 14, verse 1. Then Yahweh said to Moses, Tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of a word I'm not going to pronounce, between Midgol and the sea, in front of Baal Zephanon. You shall encamp facing it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the people of Israel, they are wandering in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will pursue them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts. And the Egyptians shall know that I am Yahweh. And they did so. So what did did God just say? He said, camp here 
Because you'll be trapped. And the Pharaoh will look at them and be like, those dumb people, they're trapped. Let's go get them. He literally led them to that place. God led them straight into the trap. How often do we complain about our circumstances because we don't see a way out? And God in His mighty power and love is thinking, I just worked so hard to get you here. My goal was to get you to the trap. My goal was to get you between the rock and the hard place. My goal was actually to bring you to a place where the only salvation was by my hand. And we're also told, another hint, he did not lead them the way of the Philistines, which was the fast way, because he thought if they see the Philistines and the war that could be coming, they're just going to flee back to Egypt. So while you're complaining, when you get to that place where you literally see the army coming after you and the sea, the uncrossable sea in front of you, maybe God led you there because he led you away from the Philistines that would have brought terror into your heart, that would have turned you back in the day of battle. Maybe God's actually leading you there by His grace. That's what it looks like in this story. And so we see, of course, Pharaoh, he's like, wow, we just got completely pummeled. We got defeated by this God that I'd never heard of. My slave force, my expendable workforce is gone. And I bet you the hierarchy of Egypt are whispering, maybe Pharaoh's not all that powerful. This guy who claims he's a god. And so in that moment, he panics and goes, well, they're trapped. This is my opportunity to win back all that I have lost. And he's going to go get the Israelites. And this is Israel's response when they see Pharaoh. I just imagine he's riding over this hill with his chariots, they're gleaming gold, they're armed. And this is a slave people who have never been an army, who've had 400 years of subservience, and Pharaoh in all his glory and power is coming up on the hill. This is how Israel responds. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to Yahweh, and they said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? It is not, is this not what we said to you? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. Well, this is not the type of people that you want if you're God and you're picking your people. You don't want people who are cowards, who are stubborn, who are not only that, they just saw God deliver them by His most powerful... Right, ten plagues against Egypt just completely obliterated the power of the Egyptians, rescued Him by His mighty hand. Pillar of cloud and fire are still there. And yet, they are turning to God saying, you should have just left us in Egypt. Why'd you bring us to die here? We could have served the Egyptians. That's better than dying in the wilderness. Well, they are precisely wrong. They've actually got the formula backwards. It is better to die in the wilderness following your God than it is to serve the Egyptians and live prosperously all your days. That is the great irony of this last line here, right? They say, for it would be better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. False. And in fact, what are they doing on this day? They're going to go into baptism through the Red Sea, which we are told is our death and resurrection. 
So they think they know what they're talking about. They know what's best for them, but God knows so much better. And so they get to this Red Sea, and God knows that He's actually calling them to die in the wilderness so that they can become the people of God, symbolically as they pass through the Red Sea. And it's no coincidence that it's called the Red Sea, because even the waters of baptism are red with the blood of Christ. And so when we think about this, the symbolism is not accidental, that as they walk through the blood of Christ, they are raised to newness of Christ, right? This is a type of what is to come. This is a foreshadowing of God's redemptive plan for all of eternity. They're worried that God got the directions wrong when God was thinking 4,000 years from now, my son will come and die and he will be the true Red Sea that introduces the waters of baptism. God's ways are not our ways. And what challenge in your life is God thinking 20, 30, 100 years down the road, I will use this for the redemption of you and your family. There is nothing that God cannot redeem. And so Moses, who, you know, he had learned a thing or two about panicking in the face of trouble. Earlier, right, the first time Pharaoh says you can't bring the Israelites out of Egypt, Moses runs to God and goes, God, why would you even send me? You haven't delivered your people even at all. I love the like tone of whininess in Moses' voice there. It encourages me that even whiners can be used by God. And he can transform them. Because what does Moses say now, right? And Moses says to the people, and honestly, if you get nothing else out of this, I think this is a word for St. Michael's today. In Exodus chapter 14, beginning in verse 12, Moses says, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of Yahweh, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. Yahweh will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. That is a word for St. Michael's today. Yes, the Egyptians are out to get you. Thus it has been, and thus it shall ever be. But Yahweh is fighting for you. If anybody in this room needs to hear this word, you guys know it is me. Be silent, Jesse. And wait on the Lord. I am so dead set on fixing my own problems. And yet sometimes God just wants you to shut up and let Him work on your behalf. What sea are you facing? The uncrossable place. And you're being pursued by the Egyptians, which we're told represent our sins, our slavery to sin. You're being pursued by all the ways that you could try and get out of it without God. And yet God wants you to go right through the problem in the way that he will make for you. Be silent and know that he is God. So Moses encourages them and then Yahweh says to Moses, why are you crying? Okay, why do you cry to me, right? He, he reacts to Moses basically the same way I react to my two-year-old sometimes. Like, why are you crying? You have everything you need. God, I think, knows our weakness better than we do ourselves. And he's giving Moses a kernel of the truth here. Because while Moses responded correctly to the Israelites, apparently he's pretty stressed when he goes to God. Because God says, why are you crying to me? Why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. And Moses like looks at the Red Sea like, okay, God, I need more than that, right? Lift up your staff, 
stretch out your hand and divide the sea, that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. Be silent, stop crying, go forward. Lift up the staff, divide the sea, God will make a way. Why does Moses, why does God make Moses use a staff? That's the question that I had when I thought, I was like, God could literally just like blow and the sea would just, you know, go to the side. He could do his own thing. He created the whole world without any of our help. He can handle this. Why does he need Moses to lift up the staff over the sea? I think there's two reasons. Number one, God chooses to work through us for us. He wants us to be his partners in the work that he does. Because the same way that I try and let Rowan bake the pumpkin bread that Haley was making yesterday, right? It wasn't for the sake of the pumpkin bread. Let me tell you, it would have been easier without Rowan helping. But it was for his sake because there was a relationship, a partnership. Even more than that, God wants us to inherit his kingdom. He wants us to be rulers, co-heirs with Christ. How is he going to do that if he just solves all our problems without our intervention, without our help? Instead, he wants us to go to him, rely on his power, and he will work through us. So that's the number one reason why he wants Moses to lift the staff over the sea, to split the waters. But there's another thing that I read from, and they say it really beautifully, this church father said, Moses performed no sign without the mysterious wood. For he received from the Lord a rod to work wonders and prodigies in Egypt. Moreover, as a sign that he had heard things divinely, it was said to him, lift up your staff. God, of course, did not need the assistance of a staff. But it was raised so that we might know how great was the mystery of that future wood, which was prefigured by the shadow of the staff. What's the point of Moses leading them with a God-given staff The point is the same reason why our bishop carries a crozier. It's a symbol of the authority of God bought by the cross. He is lifting the cross over their situation, and he is God is making a way by the power of Christ. Right? Now, it's fascinating because this is thousands of years before. So once again, may I make it plain, God thinks differently than we do. He's already thinking about the way We're already told, right, Christ was crucified before the foundation of the world. And we are given the same staff of Moses. We can hold up the cross over our life, our situation, and plead the blood of Christ in any situation. In fact, it says Moses and all those people are jealous of us because we get to walk in the salvation of God brought by His Son with the Holy Spirit within us. God doesn't have to show up in a pillar of cloud and fire in our life because He already is a pillar of cloud and fire within us. And so we should walk and not look at the seas surrounding us, the enemy behind us, and ask, God, what the heck are you doing? Instead, we should say, God, what would you have me do? Because He told Moses to do something. Lift up the staff over the waters. All the while, I'm sure the people of Israel are saying, Moses, you idiot. You've, you've slain us. You've led us into a trap. And yet Moses stood before and lifted it up. And in that moment, the, Israel, the Egyptians, you just imagine this scene. The Egyptians are charging down. Moses is lifting his staff over the water. And at least at the beginning, nothing really happens. A wind, a wind starts to blow. 
But it takes all night for this pathway to open, right? It says the wind blows all night. So what does God do? He confronts their enemies in the pillar of cloud and in the pillar of fire. In Exodus 14, verse 19, it says, Then the angel of God who was going before the host of Israel moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. Not only is God making a way forward, but God's got your back. He is defending you. It reminds me of the story of the prophet. It was either Elijah or Elisha. I always get them mixed up. And he's got his servant, and they're surrounded by the armies. And his servant's like, what are we going to do? And he prays to God. He says, open the eyes of my servant. And he opens his eyes, and there's flaming chariots of fire all around them. Greater is he who is for us than he who is against us. Amen? And so, in this moment of crisis, God is preparing the way and defending them. And there's this little change here. It goes from a pillar of fire and a pillar of cloud to the angel of the Lord. The angel of God and a pillar of cloud. What's going on there? Just to remind you that I'm not just reading all this crazy stuff into this. The angel of God is a clear example of Jesus showing up in the situation when you read it in the Old Testament. And they've done all the word studies and all the symbolism. I had a little fun doing some research on it. But let me tell you, not only is the rod of Moses prefiguring the cross, but Jesus was there that day. Now, if God's there, you realize Jesus is there. But we see an exact, an actual call out. The angel of God, Jesus stands behind them and defends them. If there is nothing more symbolic of our baptism, where Jesus conquers the enemy, the burdens, the slavery that is pursuing us and makes the path forward for us. That's what's going on here. And so God separates, he divides the waters, it says, right? That reminds us of when we were in the plagues. When God was abolishing division, He was bringing these curses on Egypt. And the natural order was disrupted to be against the Egyptians. We get the same wording in here where it says He divided the waters that we get in the creation story. When God divided the waters and made the way to create man and woman. He divided the waters. He created land. He created this space, this fertile place for man and woman and the beasts of the fields and the birds of the air to live. He made the way for creation. And what is he doing as he divides the waters of the Red Sea? He's making the way to recreate, to be born again, these Israelites. It's all the same symbolism here. Everything is pointing us to baptism and our own rebirth, our own recreation. And so the waters are separated, and it says that the sea becomes a wall on their right and on their left as they walk on the dry land. And the water, which in all of the Old Testament you see, out of the sea is where the evil comes. Because they lived on the coast, but they were not a seafaring people. And so they looked out on the Mediterranean Sea, this, this little tribe, and that was the unknown, the great vastness, the deeps. And so they would come up with these, you know, stories of, sea monsters, and all these symbolism. And so over and over again, you see the water is actually a dangerous dangerous place. But when God enters into it, it becomes the wall on your right and your left. So what am I saying here? I think that there's something that we can see that even in the midst of the situation, 
that you are lamenting, right? Your enemies are behind you. You have the situation in front of you that you cannot pass through. God will even use those circumstances to create the pathway forward for you. I've seen it happen again and again and again. That very issue, that person, let's say, as I worked at the Cheesecake Factory, I came into some conflicts with people. And I was a manager, and so I had to resolve that conflict. And I would sometimes be banging my head against the wall. I know I have to work with this person. And it's just bringing me down, and I don't know what to do. And yet, in that moment, something would shift because I would look not to my own ability to figure it out, but I would ask God, God, what can I do? And that very person then, as God works through them, becomes the advocate that then helps me get the record, you know, accomplish the task that I've set before me. I, I could think of other examples, but the point is, are you so sure that your problem is a problem? Are you so sure that your problem isn't the place that God will meet you? Right in the middle. Go forward. He's preparing the way. And Egypt comes after them, right? They see the walls of the sea and they are so driven by their hatred of these people. So driven by their desire for power to get back this labor force that they follow them into the sea. I don't know. If I was them, I would not be following them in this situation. Obviously, there's some sort of other power that I don't understand operating here. But Pharaoh is manic. And so he goes in and he follows them into the sea. And then God has Moses. First, he messes with their wheels so that they can't even go that fast, right? He mucks up the wheels. But then God has Moses stretch out his hand as soon as the Israelites are over and closes the sea on the Egyptians. And not one remains. Hmm. Augustine says this about this moment. This people of God, freed from a great and broad Egypt, is led as through the Red Sea, that in baptism it may make an end of its enemies. For by the sacrament, as it were of the Red Sea, that is by baptism, consecrated with the blood of Christ, the pursuing Egyptians, the sins are washed away. It's clear. And in fact, there's a section in the ancient baptisms that's called the exorcism. And what they do is they put in there, basically, by this water, they have a prayer that says, you shall exercise any demons or spirits that are clinging to this person being baptized. We may not say the words, but that's what happens in baptism. There is nothing that can cling to you when the waters of baptism, consecrated, as Augustine says, by the blood of Christ, wash you whiter than snow. And from that day forward, any enemy that comes against you to snare you, As we learned a few weeks back, the trap is broken. There is no power. Now, of course, we will see you can choose to submit yourself again to bondage. And in fact, Paul says that. Why would you submit yourself again to bondage? Why would you do it? You are free. There is now, therefore, no condemnation in Christ Jesus. And Pharaoh and the Egyptian chariots who are washed away would have been spared if they had just let it go. Now, God in his wisdom knew their hearts. And he knew they were coming. But I just, my heart breaks for this idea. They've already lost all their firstborn sons. And yet they still went after the people of God. Where are we in our hearts stubbornly pursuing something that God has told us not to pursue? Maybe nowhere. Maybe you are not struggling with this. But I know occasionally I run into these situations 
A really silly example. A few months back, I was trying to buy something on Amazon. And I actually don't remember what it was. I could probably figure it out. But it was something superfluous. It would make my life easier, better, but I didn't need it, right? There was money in my account. I went to buy it, and it said there was a problem with the card. And in that moment, I had a thought. I know the money's there. There's a problem with the card. I've never had this issue before. And I thought, maybe God just doesn't want me to buy this superfluous thing. But I stubbornly said, no, I'm going to figure this out. Because I went into fix-it mentality. Okay, so maybe there's a problem with the address. Like, and I went and I just like ignored that. And I bought the thing. And now all I can remember is that God told me no and I said yes. I don't enjoy that thing. I don't even know what that thing is, honestly. I can't remember. But I do remember my own stubbornness and, dare I say the S word, stupidity. Sorry, it's the S word at my house. But I remember my failure out of that story. And so why are we thinking we're the Israelites who get to walk free? (laughs) We are. But let's remember, we can easily become Pharaoh if we choose. Now, by the power of the blood, God will complete the work that he is doing in you. God, the Egyptian, the judgment that's on those who are perpetrating the sin and slavery of the world has been spared for you by the cross. Doesn't mean we're better than them. It doesn't mean that we are incapable of those atrocities. We need to ask ourselves, and I know I just gave a silly example, but where are we pushing where God doesn't want us to go? Last little piece of that. God chastens those whom he loves. So you may not get the judgment of God because by the power of the blood of Christ, we are set free. There's no condemnation. But God will chasten you. And trust me, it's not worth it. And so we get to the end of this story where Israel has just gone through one of the most remarkable stories in the history of the world. God has set them free from tyranny, slavery, death. He has instituted the Passover supper that foreshadows the blood of Christ over all of us. He has redeemed them. He has bought them with the price. He has made them his own. He is leading them through the Red Sea. And we get to this beautiful verse at the end of this story. Exodus 14, beginning in verse 30. Thus Yahweh saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that Yahweh used against the Egyptians, so the people feared Yahweh, and they believed in Yahweh and in His servant Moses. And they all lived happily ever after. Oh, wait, no, that's not there. You guys know what happens. God willing, we could just accept that and remember that. God willing, we could remember all the seas God has brought us through. But in the moment, you have a choice. Every time, do I press into trust? Do I remember the faithfulness of God who has introduced himself as Yahweh in this story? Do I remember the power of Yahweh over my life? Or do I choose fear? Do I choose complaining? That's the question as we move forward. And the journey that should have taken them weeks to get to the promised land because they kept getting that question wrong, takes them 40 years. Now, it's taken us quite a long time to become who we are in Christ. And it will take us that much longer till that day when we are welcomed into His kingdom after we die. Let's not be too harsh on the Israelites. This was God's plan all along. God didn't have a three-week plan to get to the promised land. He had a 40-year plan to make himself a people. 
And that's what the wilderness becomes all about. He has saved them, and now he will make them his people. Amen? Don't be mistaken, though. They could have done it in three weeks. <laughs> but he knew, he knew them. He, knew, he knows us. He knows uh, we don't always live up to our potential. And, uh, you know, teaching and uh, digesting these amazing biblical stories are what cause us to grow and hopefully become overcomers so we don't have to go through all the the dumb and bitter battles that they did. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of His Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried, and the third day he rose again, according to the Scriptures, and ascended into heaven and is seated on the right hand of the Father. And he shall come again with glory to judge the living and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. And I believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Peace of the Lord be always with you. And with your spirit. Turn and greet your neighbor with peace. to encourage your neighbors and friends to begin their week in, with their life in Christ, coming to a church and receiving the Holy Eucharist. What better way to start your week, right? But uh, we tend to be uh, a lot like those uh, Israelites coming out of Egypt. And we don't want to take 40 years. We want to be more than overcomers today. Amen. Amen. What's up, Phil? I know that the men's meeting is canceled. Is that correct, Father Lewis? What date was that? <laughs> was it yesterday? <laughs> okay, so don't come. Okay. <laughs> don't come. Uh, other than that, 
Again, we are going to be doing the society tomorrow. What's that? We do have the Feast of St. Michael's, which is coming up on Sunday, October 2nd, just like you can see it up there on the screen. Please bring desserts and drinks to share. There's going to be a cornhole tournament. Wow. Goodness gracious. Spectators, bring your lawn and beach chairs. Bring your lawn and beach chairs. Awesome. Funny games for the kids. And awesome. is it going to be downstairs? Are we doing it downstairs? Okay. All right. That's going to be exciting. All right. Anything else? Bishop, do you have anything else? No. Just, uh, again, uh, come out to society. If you haven't been, it's uh, a real blessing, and love to have you out there. As we prepare to receive the body and blood of Christ in the Eucharist, let us respond to God's word by engaging with him in musical worship and presenting to God our tithes and offerings out of that which God has given to us. Together, through Christ, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. But do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Go! 
In faith, standing for air conditioning. <laughs> Amen. We welcome all baptized believers to join us in receiving the body and blood of Christ. This is the table of the Lord. It's made ready for those who love him, for those who want to love him even more. Come, you who have much faith, you who have little, you who've been here often and you who haven't been here long, you who've tried to follow and you who failed, you come. The Lord invites you. It's his table. It's his will that those who want him should meet him here. So you come this morning. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right. Father, all-powerful and ever-living God, we do well always and everywhere to give you thanks through Jesus Christ our Lord. Through his cross and resurrection, he freed us from sin and death and called us to the glory that's made us a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people set apart. Everywhere we proclaim your mighty works, for you called us out of darkness into your own wonderful light. And so with all the choir of angels in heaven, we proclaim your glory and we join in their unending hymn of praise.
Lord, you're holy indeed, the fountain of all holiness. Let your Holy Spirit come upon these gifts and make them holy, so they may become for us the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Before he's given up to death, the death he freely accepted, he took bread and gave you thanks. He broke the bread and gave it to his disciples, and he said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. When supper was ended, he took the cup. Again, he gave thanks. He gave it to the disciples, and he said, Drink this, all of you. This is my blood of a new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. Let us proclaim this mystery of faith. Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. In memory of his death and resurrection, we offer you, Father, this life-giving bread and this saving cup. We thank you for counting us worthy to stand in your presence and to serve you. May all of us who share in the body and blood of Jesus be brought together in unity by the Holy Spirit. Lord, remember your church throughout the world and make us grow in love, together with our patriarch Craig and all of the clergy. Remember, Lord, those who are sick, infirmed in spirit, soul, or body. We hold up this day Susan, Naomi, and Sonia, and Sandra, Tammy, and Denise, and Daniel, and David, Lucian, Eric, Nicholas, Dave, Steve, Donna, our Marines and sailors at Camp Pendleton, and all those who serve in our armed forces. Draw our hearts to remember the poor and the broken. As we receive the body and blood of Jesus, may we be transformed to become the body of Christ to the world. Have mercy on us all. Make us worthy to share eternal life with the apostles and the martyrs and all the saints who have gone before us. May we praise you in union with them and give you glory through your Son, Jesus Christ. By him and with him and in him in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all honor and glory is yours, Almighty God and Father, now and forever. Amen. Jesus taught us to call God our Father, and we have courage as we pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Hallelujah. Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast. Hallelujah. Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world. Have mercy upon us. Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world. Have mercy upon us. Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world. Grant us thy peace. The gifts of God for the people of God. Take them to remembrance that Christ died for you. And feed on them in your heart with thanksgiving. Blessed are those who are called to the supper of the Lamb.
I want to challenge you uh, this week, especially. Maybe we can get it uh, rolling and it'll become a more permanent thing in your life. But uh, when the deacon was preaching about uh, walking through the Red Sea and and, then, and it really was what began God's plan of walking by faith in their heart. And it was necessary for every day to them to live and, and to strive in that mode. Otherwise, they would, would have been 80 years. <laughs> they never would have made it. And I want to ask you just to, uh, every morning, begin it with a, as simple a prayer as you want. But uh, j- just a prayer that would ask the Lord to be with you during the day. Amen. And then visualize, just this week, just visualize that message and them getting up and leaving and moving forward and asking God to take them that next step to that next place of provision that night. Can you join me in that? Amen. I think if we do that, God's going to have a real blessing on it for us. And there might be just a, I just sense a little leap in our our walk and our faith and our uh, our dedication to the Lord. Eternal God, Heavenly Father, you graciously accepted us as living members of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And you have fed us with spiritual food in the sacrament of his body and blood. Send us now into the world in peace. And grant us strength and courage to love and serve you with gladness and singleness of heart. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in the battle and be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all evil spirits who wander through the world seeking ruin of our souls. Remember the gospel, God was in Christ Jesus, reconciling the world to himself, not counting men's sins against them. Can you imagine what job that is? <laughs> but it does it because he loves you. He's forgiven you. He's not angry. And he'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. And the blessings of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be amongst you. Remain with you always. Amen. Your praise will ever be on my lips, ever be on my lips. Your praise will ever be on my lips, ever be on my lips. Your praise will ever be on my lips, ever be on my lips. Your Yes, you will be proud.